Will you take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1? We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. The title of this message today, Thanks for the Memories, and uh, this is a message to kind of close out the Thanksgiving time, and next week we'll enter in, uh, well, we'll still finish a series, but when you come back next Sunday, uh, all of the church will be decorated for Christmas, and you will, we always love that, it's beautiful here at Christmas time, but today we're looking at the message, Thanks for the Memories, from Philippians 1. 3 through 11. I have a lot of memories, so many memories, during my years of ministry. God called me to preach in 1973, 1973, and here it is, um, 2016. What are we now, at 43 years, something like that? That's That's a good little while. I have a lot of memories of uh, the various ministries where I had had served. I was a youth director. That was my first first ministry job while I was in seminary. I was a uh, youth director uh, for the Lakewood Baptist Church in Harrison, Tennessee, just outside of Chattanooga. And uh, I have memories of my my time there. And then I pastored for one year in Sanford, Florida after I graduated from seminary. One year and uh, that was the Elder Springs Baptist Church, and I have a lot of memories from the uh, Elder Springs Baptist Church, but only a year's worth of memories. Uh, I, I remember this. I remember uh, Eileen Rim, Rimley, Mrs. Rimley, uh, made a peanut butter pie, and uh, I can tell you this, that you could eat that peanut butter pie with a truck parked on your foot. It was absolutely just wonderful, wonderful thing. Mrs. Rimley, I remember her. And then, of course, 15 and a half years in Nashville, a church that uh, Jan and I, the Lord led us there, and we started that church. It's still a wonderful church today. And uh, I remember the first Sunday at that, uh, that uh, bank community room at the corner of R.D. Avenue and Gallatin Road. And uh, <clears throat> I have memories of, of that day. And then now, February 16 will be 25 years here with you, and uh, we have shared a lot of memories. Some of the memories I've shared with uh, all of the church, some of the memories here with only some in the church, and there are certain memories that we've had during this time that only belong to, um, to my family and, and me. But I love the memories of this church. A few days ago, Darlene Reynolds, and there she sits back there right now with her son. Is that John that's uh, with you back there? All right, with her son, John. And Darlene came by the church to give her pastor and Jan uh, some fruit from her house and something that she had made for us. Darlene, by the way, is a quiet, precious treasure in this church. Uh, Most of you do not know Darlene Reynolds, and it's a shame because she is a precious treasure in this church. And she brought those things to me, and as she was leaving, I looked at her and I said, I miss Ralph. And uh, I was speaking of her late husband, Ralph. She had been married to Ralph for 52 years. He passed away the end of June in 2012. And I went on to tell Darlene why I missed Ralph. Um, Ralph always had something encouraging 
and positive to say. Ralph could take the tiniest bit of of positive. I mean the tiniest bit of positive. And he could make it into something that made you feel better about whatever it was that you may be going through. It might even may not be the thing that's weighing you down, but you'd feel so good about what he talked to you about. If you took Ralph at his word that he was who he says, and Ralph was, what you see is what you got with Ralph Reynolds. Ralph encouraged your soul. And, and he just, uh, there's so many good memories <clears throat> that I have of Ralph. And there's not even one bad memory. I don't have one slightest shadowy memory of Ralph Reynolds. Ralph Reynolds was a fine, fine man. I thank God for every memory of him. Now, I said that because this is what the Apostle Paul was saying to the Philippian church. I thank God for every memory of you. I'm thinking of you, and there's nothing that I can think of that doesn't cause me to rejoice in you. Here's what he said specifically. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Well, we all know that Thursday was a day that we set aside, pardon me, there we go, hello boy, Thursday was, I've I've named them, that particular one is Freddie, and uh, Freddie loves to come, Freddie enjoys the holidays, and Freddie will come to me on holidays, and he'll sit in my throat, and uh, then he moves on out, and uh, Penelope moves in, but anyway, Thursday, we set aside for Thanksgiving. We ate. We ate. How many of you ate too much on Thursday? Would you raise your hand? You ate too much. I did. I did telling myself I'm not going to. Now, I exercised the whole week. Thursday morning, Thanksgiving morning, I got up. Dr. Thacker, you'll be very happy about this. I walked five miles in an hour and 15 minutes Thursday morning. That was awesome. It, yes, I did it on my, my Fitbit, my Fitbit surge. I walked five miles. I'd walked five miles on Tuesday. I worked out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But I've yet to stand on the scales because I'm sure that I'll be depressed by it. <clears throat> we all ate too much. We gave some thanks. I think that giving thanks is a dying thing. It started dying long before this day. You remember when Jesus healed 10 lepers and uh, 
only one <clears throat> returned to give thanks. Those nine took the blessing, but they neglected to give thanks for it. Paul wrote to the Philippians about the love and joy that he had for every <clears throat> memory of them. He was thankful. He was thankful for everything about them. Well, today I find myself in the, the place of Paul, giving thanks, and honestly giving thanks for every memory of you. And my hope is that you have reason to give thanks for the people of God, for the people that God has brought into your life and the impact of your church family and the fellowship of your church family. And to that end, let's see why Paul gave thanks, and let's see if we can give thanks and see if we will give thanks, even though Thursday is past, first of all. Paul said, I thank God for our fellowship. Going back to verse 3, I thank my God in all re my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from <clears throat> the first day until now. It was the memories of the church family at Philippi that caused Paul to rejoice. Paul was thinking about a Ralph Reynolds <clears throat> and a Betty Fell, and he was thinking of a Fred Hallmark, and, and he was uh, thinking of a Bill Newton and a Sheldon Wynn. Uh, he was thinking of the people that I would think of as I give thanks. He was thinking of people like, like that in the in the church. Not every memory can be fun. Not every memory can be happy. Not every memory can be exciting. But there is joy of thinking of those that we love in the memories of our lives and in our spiritual lives. There are certain things about places that, that trigger, often trigger our, our memory. The, the, the places and the people of those places if you've ever gone back to your elementary school or your high school, I, uh, when my sister passed away a couple of weeks ago, I was in Goodlettsville, and <clears throat> my brother-in-law <clears throat> told me, <clears throat> he said, you need to go <clears throat> and see the new school, middle school that they built where Goodlettsville is, or Goodlettsville High School was. Well, Goodlettsville High School was my school, and so I did. <clears throat> I drove uh, down to Dickerson Road, turn left. And as I went past the school, I went, oh my goodness, this looks like a police station. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It had, it had uh, gated sally ports uh, and, and, uh, and all of that kind of thing. And I, I just was, I was surprised because the memory of my <clears throat> school years had been replaced by this, this very sterile building then I drove around to the back, and there was the football field, but the football field had not changed. And so <clears throat> I, <clears throat> I remembered <clears throat> my school. You've gone back to your elementary school, maybe, or your high school. And as you walked in, the pattern on the floor was familiar. Um, in my elementary school, I, I remember there were, there were green and black tiles laid in blocks, I think there were four tiles to a block, and, and they were in some sort of a, a checkerboard uh, pattern as you walked in uh, to the um, elementary school, Rosebank Elementary School, where Jan and I were in the fifth grade together, by the way. If you ever walked into the cafeteria, 
to me, the, the smell of a school cafeteria is the smell of milk cartons. Uh, I, I remembered the milk cartons, and I would smell the, the milk cartons and think about the things that they had there. At, at, <clears throat> at Rosebank Elementary School, Friday was hamburger day, but back then, Catholics had to eat fish, so they also had fish sandwiches on that day, and you could get either a hamburger or a, <clears throat> a fish sandwich. And uh, I, I never will for I, the, the smell of milk cartons brings that to, to my memory. Uh, they made the, the lady there made something that, that I always called peanut butter bar. And, and I don't know how she made it, but I will tell you that I would have married that woman for, <clears throat> for those peanut butter bars. But the, the, the smell of the cafeteria. Uh, triggered memories for me. And I I did. I went into that uh, elementary school a few years ago. Or if you reach for the handle and you you look at that handle and you say, is this the same door handle that that was there all those years ago? And, And then you realize, I think it is. And it's just a strange thing about how it just kind of, it triggers memories for you. A writer in Focus on the Family wrote this, when I was seven, I had a a tree house and a large cherry tree at a secluded spot on our farm. It was my retreat. It housed my dreams and soaked up my tears. Years later, I visited my childhood home and climbed up into that old tree house, cramming my six-foot-one frame into that small place. I stayed long enough to affirm that it had been important to me during a special time in my life. I think with all of the the forward-looking to tomorrow and technological advances and all those kinds of things, I think we miss the nostalgia of remembering and giving thanks. All of us have treehouse memories, but we can't just live on those treehouse memories. We have to build new memories, and the best place to build new memories is among your Christian fellowship, having a close, close relationship to your church and to your church family, that will build new and lasting mem- uh, memories. One of the reasons that Paul's memories were, were a source of frequent joy was because every time he prayed, he included them <clears throat> in his prayers. He increased his sense of fellowship by praying for those with whom he fellowshiped. And that heightened his sense of appreciation for them because he prayed for them. Now, we have guests here today who are from various places. We have a group of young people from Bob Jones University back there. And uh, I remember I preached at Bob Jones University several, many, many years ago. You won't recall this because you didn't know Bob Jones Jr. But Bob Jones Jr. said to to Bob Jones the, the third, he said, who is this Randy Ray? I don't believe I've ever heard of him. How is it that, that I've never heard of Randy Ray, but he gets to preach here for three days in our chapel services? Bob, what are you doing? What are you bringing to our school? And we'll forget that. I got to go back one more time, and then Bob the Third got wise too, so I didn't get to. Just kidding. I, <clears throat> I loved my time visiting at Bob Jones University, which was really an awesome experience. But I think back to 
to the times that we have had in this church and the opportunities that we've had in this church and the places that I've visited. And I have a lot of really good memories. And I was saying earlier that <clears throat> we have guests here today, these from Bob Jones and some of your family members. And probably you have been told by your family member that Pastor Ray is retiring from being a pastor at the end of May. And so our church is going through a change. I, <clears throat> I'm only the second pastor in this church's 50-plus year history. And uh, the, the first pastor was the founding pastor, Rayburn Blair. He stayed here for <clears throat> about 30 years, a little less than 30 years. And he was 61 years old when he retired. And uh, Brother Blair is still living down in Texas. And then I came to be the pastor on February the 16th, 1992. And I was 42 years old when I became the pastor here. I'm now 66 uh, years old. And so <clears throat> I'm not an old man. I'm kind of a young old guy. So I have made the decision that God is leading me, and it's true. He's leading me to, to transition my ministry into another, another aspect of ministry, and I'm happy for that. But our church is going through a change. It, it, <clears throat> it, in only six months, you, you, I will move on, and, and someone else was going to be called. And someone else is, is going to be the pastor of this church. Now, some of your <clears throat> memories that you have in this church, some of your memories are built around your interaction with me. And even more so, your fellowship <clears throat> with your church family. But your fellowship can be and should be made better in years to come. Your fellowship shouldn't fade away because your pastor is transitioning. You should continue your fellowship and continue your memories. Paul said, always in every prayer of mine, always making my prayer with you. Praying for one another and praying together will be the bond and the strength that makes this church greater tomorrow than it's ever been. But it has to be done <clears throat> from a spirit and a posture of prayer. You may find yourself looking back on, on the days of this church and thank God for these transition days because you, <clears throat> you built a fellowship, you built a memory, you began to, to rely upon one another. There was joy in the <clears throat> fellowship that Paul had, but there was also a sense of partnership. He said, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until the last. Now, here's something that might surprise you. You don't often think about this. Where did Paul and those who traveled with him, where did they live when they ministered? I mean, was there a Marriott or a Hilton or uh, did, was there a Motel 6 that left the light on for them? Where, where, did they, <clears throat> where did they live? Well, they lived with the people. They lived in the houses with the people. They lived with church members. He served and he lived with the people of the church. You may remember a woman named Lydia. She and her family they insisted that Paul and those with him live in their house while they were in their town. They just insisted upon it. Acts 16, 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 
And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Jan and I have been to many of your homes, not all of them, but many of your homes. I don't remember a single one of you, not one of you ever saying, Pastor, why don't you and Miss Jan spend the night? I don't remember anybody ever saying that. Or I don't remember anybody ever saying, Pastor, why don't you and Jan and your sons come and live here with us at our house? Now, I'm not complaining about that. It's always a little uncomfortable for me to stay with someone else. But the truth is, that's where Paul stayed. That was a part of the partnership of ministry that he had uh, with them. And, and I will tell you that I'm sure that strained at the harmony a little bit. Yet Paul was still able to have fond memories of them. My wife's mother and daddy have passed away over the last few years. We called them Meemaw and Pawpaw. And <clears throat> they lived in two places. They lived, first of all, at at Skyview Drive in East Nashville. And then they lived out in Franklin, Tennessee. At Skyview Drive, after Jan and I were married, we'd go back. One of the most uncomfortable things to do is after you're married to go back and stay at the house with your in-laws. That's just an uncomfortable thing to do. It's just uncomfortable. I'm not going to go into details, but it's just uncomfortable. And we stayed in this house on Skyview Drive upstairs in this house in an open room. Her two brothers were slept up there. And, and the bathroom was downstairs. And if you had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and what grown man doesn't, <clears throat> you had to get up and go down these creaky steps. And as you heard these steps creak, you would hear uh, Papa and Meemaw wake up. Oh, what is that? That kind of a thing. It was just uncomfortable. And I, I didn't, I was glad to go, but I was happier to leave. It was just uncomfortable. Then they moved out to Franklin. <clears throat> and <clears throat> they actually considered me in Franklin because they, they still had a room upstairs where they wanted to put the in-law. Um, and, and they put the in-law up there, but they built a, a half bath up there. There wasn't a place for me to shower, but but I could at least go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. But then they were getting up in years, and, and then we were in the thermostat wars. And, and Papa, for some reason, he felt like it was healthy for it to be 80 degrees in the house. And I knew that germs flourish in the hotter temperatures, so I would turn it down to 65 and he would slap it up to 80, and I would slap it down to 65, and I'd hear him say, who keeps changing this thing? I don't know. I'm freezing. <laughs> it could be a little uncomfortable to live with somebody. But Paul lived with the people of the churches where he ministered, and he said, I thank God in every memory. I am happy about everything that I remember about you. Now, how could he do that? Because all memories are not created equal. 
Sometimes memories are unpleasant. Sometimes they're even traumatic. But I think that God has designed within us, if we'll use it, an ability to deal with those unpleasant and unhappy things and, and to somehow or another remember the good things if we will remember the good things. I protect myself to remember good things. I don't know whether you do or not. I'm going to give you a little, I'm going to give you a little help right here, okay? This is, this is not thus saith the Lord, this is thus saith the Randy. But, you know, most of the church is somewhere else today anyway, so it's just us chickens. <clears throat> um, when my sister Jean died, some of you remember my sister Jean. She was a large woman. She, she was not, uh, I mean, she was just a, always a large woman. And Jean, ah, she probably weighed 230 pounds or 40 pounds. She's, she was a large woman. And uh, I took great comfort in Jean being a large woman. I cannot tell you the number of times that uh, as a boy I sat near her in church and scooted up close to her because she was warm. But when Jean died, Doc, she had lost over 100 pounds. And I had not seen her in that state. She was in hospice, and I had not seen her in that state. And, and my sister, Tawanda, who, by the way, will be here uh, on, on Christmas Sunday. My sister, Tawanda, will be here on Sunday, two of her granddaughters, and my brother, Wayne, will be here on Christmas Sunday. Can I take a step to the side and tell you something about Tawanda? My sister Tawanda is a strange woman. She is so hilarious. She did. She took care of Jean. She's genius in that stuff. She took care of Jean. She took care of all of those issues. And <clears throat> my sister Tawanda's in her seventies, and she went to the. And she loves cars. She loves cars. I can go back. She had a who's who of cars in her life. She's driven Corvettes and all kinds of stuff. Just unbelievable. And what's really bad is she lives right next to a CarMax. It's like an alcoholic living above the bar. It's just terrible. And she, she went to the funeral home to talk to the funeral director about the funeral. And she said, now, the cemetery is right here at the funeral home. Do we just walk to the graveside or do we drive our cars? And she said, and the funeral director said, we drive our cars. She said, good, I've got a Jaguar. (laughs) What a weird woman. And then when she got in line, she parked where the preacher normally parks, not where uh, the family should park. So my car should have been behind the hearse, but it was her car behind the hearse. She'll be here on the 25th, but she will not be in her Jaguar. She'll be in my brother's van, which I kind of hope has a flat tire. But anyway... <clears throat> Jean had lost a lot of weight. And my sister, who was in Tawanda, who was in charge of everything, told the funeral director, look, we will open the casket for a brief period of time for family. Then we will close the casket and it will not be opened again. I didn't go in to look at her body. Because that, and that was not my gene. First of all, she had moved out. You understand that? She had moved out. And secondly, the house that she had left back was, was in such disrepair 
that you, you wouldn't recognize it. So I didn't, I didn't and I, I, to my knowledge, that's the only person that I've ever known that I didn't, you know, spend time standing there and reflecting. But I didn't because I had all of those things hidden in my heart. And I think, I think that, that some of you might think that's unhealthy. I don't know whether you do or not, but, you know, it's over now. But, but, uh, but I think it was healthy for me. And I think God designed that in me to be able to have good memories of her. There can be a lot of trauma, but you can still have good memories. And even though Paul was writing from a prison cell, he prayed with joy and thanksgiving as he remembered the Philippians. Someone once said that God gave us memories so we could have roses in December. What a beautiful thought. Paul thanked God for the fellowship of the Philippian church. He remembered how wonderful it was. Now, here's the second thing. He said, I thank God for our fellowship. I thank God for our relationship or your relationship. Verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to a completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I'm sure that you thank God for the work that he has done in your life, but do you thank God for the work that he's done in the lives of other people? Are you thanking God for what he's done for people in your family and people in this this church family? Paul said that he was thankful for a good work that had begun in the Philippian believer and would continue to be done in them. What good work had God done for them? What was he so grateful about? Well, I I think Paul was thinking about four good works. I'll give you four good works that he could have been thinking about. First of all, I think he was thinking about salvation from sin. He rejoiced that they had been saved from their sin. The gift of salvation is something that begins and it ends with God. God the Father gave his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And and if we have a relationship with God, it's because he began it. Here's what the Bible says. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We rejoice in our salvation. Friday afternoon at 5 o'clock, I was at an early viewing of a, a film called The Bowden Dynasty. And it's a documentary film. It's a two-hour-long documentary film that's going to be in theaters on January the 8th. And I think it's only going to be a one-day-only thing. And I would strongly encourage you to find the theater here in town. I think it's going to be the one, uh, uh, the Regal Theater uh, here in town. But I, I, would, I would strongly encourage you to, to find that film. And it talked about the, the dynasty years of... of you know, from the late 80s through the 90s where Florida State was just such a dominating force in college football and it talked about all of those kinds of things. But you know, that film was totally centered on the gospel. Totally centered on the gospel. It started out with a gospel where 
Coach Bowden talked about getting saved. It talks about <clears throat> him sharing the gospel with his, his teammates. It talked about Mark Richt. <clears throat> Mark Richt is there <clears throat> on, the, on the film and, and a who's who of people there. And Mark Rick said, I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior right there in Coach Bowden's office. And, and Coach Bowden and others will tell you of, of their salvation and when it happened. And, and the Apostle Paul said, I, I rejoice at your salvation. I rejoice that you not only were saved from your sin, but that you had the ears to hear. Jesus said, in Matthew and many other places, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you know what it is, what a blessing it is to have ears to hear? There are a lot of people who have ears to hear, but they never listen. They never respond. They never hear what the message is saying. You probably know someone who has heard the message of the gospel maybe hundreds of times, but they never had ears to hear. It's a blessing to have heard and to have listened. It opened the door to your relationship for which Paul thanked God concerning the Philippians, and you can thank God for one another. Here's the, other, the third thing, a heart to believe. Have you ever thought that a, that a person really has to work against God's intentions to reject the gospel? God has... God has given every opportunity and every ability for us to be saved. And you have to work against his good intentions to reject the gospel. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 12.3, For by grace, the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to to think of himself, to not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. Paul said, I thank God for you. I thank God for your relationship. I thank God for your, your salvation from sin. I thank God that you had ears to hear. I thank God that you had a heart to believe. He said, I thank God that you've had grace to endure. Philippians 1.6 is is my life's verse, if you will. I, I quoted in the King James, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Our text says it this way, and I am sure of this, that we, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When God begins a work in us at salvation, we count on him to carry it through. That's the beautiful thing about salvation. It is all Him. He gave me salvation. He gave me faith to receive His salvation. He is keeping my salvation. There is nothing about my salvation that's wrapped up in what I do or how good I am or can be. Nothing. I'm a sinner, aren't you? If you're saved... You're a sinner saved by grace. Your salvation is kept by the Lord. What did Paul say? He said, I thank God for our fellowship. I thank God for our relationship. And then finally, he just says, I thank God for you. Going on in verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with affliction of Christ Jesus. 
And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thursday, we counted our blessings. What'd you do Friday, Saturday? What have you done today? I'll tell you what we should do. When we count our blessings, we should thank God for the people that he brought into our lives, just like I thank God for Ralph Reynolds. He was a good old daddy. He was a good man. One day, a few years ago, that's several years now, I forget I've been here a long time, I was sitting in my office, and I thought of Jimmy and Jesse Williams. You've never heard of Jimmy or Jesse Williams, but they were a big deal in my life. Jimmy and Jesse were the parents of my best friend in church. My sister Jean was my Sunday school teacher, my first Sunday school teacher, and Jimmy was in my, or or Phil was in my Sunday school class. And they lived just down the street from us on Preston Drive. Our house was at the corner of Rosebank and Preston, and down the hill and up a little bit was the house for Jimmy and Jesse and Phil Williams. They had a little Boston Terrier. The little dog's name was Prissy. (laughs) Their house was a place that my parents always let me go. All I had to do was tell them that I was going. I'm going to the Williams house. Okay, be back before dark. Be back for supper. And I would go there. Sometimes I would spend all day Saturday with the the Williams, all day. I'd wake up early and I'd tell my my mom and dad, I'd say, hey, I'm, I'm going to the Williams today. We're going to the lake. All right, you be back on time. The Williams had bought a a boat to go to the lake. I don't know what you called it. We called it a runabout. I don't know what that means really, but it was red and white, and it had a big Evinrude engine on it, I remember. It was big to me. It may not have been all that big. They, uh, they taught Phil how to water ski behind that boat. That's, that was their son, my friend. They taught me to, how, tried to teach me how to water ski. I swallowed much of Old Hickory Lake trying to learn how to water ski. I think I still have a little mud in me from Old Hickory Lake. I never learned to water ski, but boy, they were good to me, so good to me. And I just was sitting in my office, and I got to thinking about the Williams. And so I, I picked up the phone, and, and I called them in Nashville. Jimmy and Jesse Williams. Jesse answered the phone. Jesse, this is Randy Ray. Well, Randy, so good to hear from you. Jimmy had Parkinson and he couldn't speak. So Jesse relayed our conversation. And I told them of the blessing that they were to me as a boy. And I told them how I never forgot them. 
And I never forgot their kindness and their love. And how that they let me be a part of their family every time that I came down there. And Jessie was so sweet. And I could hear her telling Jimmy everything. This was before speaker phones. So it's been a while. Or at least they didn't have one. And when the call ended, I put the phone down and I just sat there. And I felt like that I had given thanks to God. I felt like I had served the Lord. It was good. I felt like I had strengthened the family and benefited my own life by recalling the pleasures of fellowship past and thanking God for them in the present. Jimmy and Jesse Williams are both with the Lord now. Jimmy went first, then Jesse. And I will thank God for them today, just like I thank God for you. And here's the challenge. I'm going to leave you with this and we're done. The challenge is for you to not leave Thanksgiving on Thursday, but to remember it today. There was probably somebody in your life somewhere along the way who was a real blessing to you. Now today you can find anybody, it seems like. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them. I I had some of you who are my Facebook friends saw a post from my friend in Argentina. Uh, We've got so many friends in Argentina, and one of them is a beautiful, beautiful uh, young woman in her 20s who thinks of me as her American dad. She calls me her American dad. And she wrote on my Facebook page, and she said, Pastor Randy, we don't have Thanksgiving in Argentina, and I'm not sure what it's all about, but I know that I'm thankful for you and Miss Jan and what you mean to my life and so on. She celebrated Thanksgiving. Why don't you do that? Why don't you find a way to connect, really connect? You don't have to strain to do this. You don't have to do it with 50 people. But, and, and whatever you do, don't send one of these things. I'm thankful for you. Please send it to 20 other people and back to me. Just write somebody or call them and be thankful for them and tell them, you played a role in my life and I am forever grateful for how God brought you to me.